0: It's like Swami Chaitanya is one of the judges who's been judging the Emerald Cup for 18 years and he's the one doing the assessment. So like, you're going to, fine, you can challenge Swami's assessment. You can, but like, who's more qualified than him? This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends,
1: insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. And with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a super special guest, Max Simon, CEO of Greenflower. Max, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Good to be with you guys. Looking forward to this. Yeah, looking forward to diving in. Kellen, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well. Looking forward to chatting about uh, education. I think it's a really important topic and it's, it's needed. Uh, for the industry. How are you, Brian?
1: I'm doing well. It's desperately needed this industry. And Max, for the record, I know you are located in California, but I know your team is distributed across the United States. So I don't know if we can put that one up for the West Coast. What do you think, Kellen?
2: I think it's a West Coast, right? Yeah. Incorporated in California. Yeah, I guess that's fair. We'll, we'll give Max on the
1: West Coast. So Max, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with you, can you give it a little background about yourself?
0: Yeah, personally, I've been a long time can- medical cannabis patient. I use it daily for ADHD, and it's actually very regimented for me. So it's a it's a medicine that I use very methodically and have for a long time. Um, and my my personal background, I should say, my career background is all, all in digital education. I um, I spent nine years building Deepak Chopra's business which was a, a, an education business around mind body medicine and yoga and meditation and we were able to you know tr- train th- thousands and thousands of meditation teachers and kind of mainstream many of these mind body medicine principles into the world um, and have then was a serial entrepreneur after that did many different businesses um, over the years and then found my way to the cannabis industry in 20 Thirteen, where I was one of the first consultants of a vape pen company here in California, and that opened my eyes to the fact that this industry was just going to be an enormous, uh, enormous industry that had so much potential, and you know nobody really knew the realities of it. Um, there was just all the stigma and, and the BS, and so I realized from my background we were going to need you know well educated, well trained people and. And over the years, Greenflower has stepped up to kind of fill that need.
1: Was there always the idea that the intersection between the educational background and cannabis would merge? Like, take us through the origin. When did that idea kind of spark for you?
0: No, no. I I was... It was 2013 when I was... um, So my last business was basically helping other experts move into online businesses. And and so I worked with thousands of different experts to help them build their businesses and and kind of create the infrastructure to move online into online education. And and I was just, quite frankly, bored of helping other people build their businesses. You know, Even though it was a successful business, I got tired of helping other people. So I was really looking for like, okay, what's the next thing that I specifically want to build? And that's when I got this cannabis consulting gig which, you know, was so interesting to me because I was a personal consumer for all these years, but just didn't didn't know a damn thing about the this kind of legal industry that was developing it. But in doing this consulting gig in twenty thirteen in California, I just saw man, you know this is an absolutely miraculous plant and an industry that'll be way bigger than people are anticipating it. And with my background in education, you know, people are need to understand, they need some, some credibility and some trust to, to be able to participate in this sector. So that's, that's what brought us to Greenflower.
2: Was there any like one moment where you were doing that consulting gig where you're like, wow, this is exactly where education needs to be brought into this space when you're looking at those manufacturers back in California?
0: I mean, truth be told, even back then, it was more just seeing the writing on the wall for how big the industry was going to be. And so I got initially excited, not so much by the 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 mission more by the business opportunity early on. And I just said, you know, I was very early in mind, body, medicine, and spirituality. And we built an enormous industry or enormous business, you know, being the 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 credibility source, the the trusted source of information. And so it started off very entrepreneurial to me. But in the in the very beginning, we started to you know really interview the doctors and interview the scientists and interview the cultivators. And that's when I realized, wow, this is so much more complex, sophisticated, there's so much more to learn than anybody has any clue of. And that's what really helped me realize the importance of the education side is it's not just a great business opportunity. it's that this is really complex and, and misunderstood. And we really need to do a good job of educating people to to um, lift up the industry.
1: I tip my hat to you because early on, I mean, 2013, online education was still kind of new. So to take an approach where cannabis is done, online education is a very, very new approach. Right? I, I, I tip my hat to you there. So then what are the first steps, right? Take us through the macro concept, those first steps when you're building out an educational platform. It's a big, big burden to take on that approach. There's constant changes. There's, there's
0: various roles. Where do you start and how do you get going? And, and to answer that question, I'll say you know, Greenflower has zigzagged a lot over the years. And, and I would say that from 2014, when we founded the company, really up until 2018, um, we really tried a bunch of stuff. Right, We tried stuff. And so we tried stuff from doing, you know, I produced the first Cannabis Health Summit online, which had like 30,000 people attend to it. It was nuts, you know, an enormous reach. Um, So we did, you know, online summits in in different capacities. I did the Cannabis Health Summit, the Cannabis Business Summit, the Cannabis Entrepreneur Summit, the CPD Summit, you know. So we did like these online educational forums. We produced a lot of kind of short form Content um, where you were you know sitting down with experts and talking to them about different content or different subjects in the industry. so we did like a lot of random stuff um, and some of it stuck, some of it didn't stick, some of it was exciting and some of it was just a total dud. but really it was like 20 like I said, around kind of 2018 when I started to realize like okay the the professional education, Side of this, where you're training people to be professionals and succeed in the industry, is where we were finding business traction and why, where we were finding kind of that that product to market fit. And so we started to double down into building, you know, really professional based education programs around that time, and and that's when the business really started to gain its level of traction that it has today.
2: What was the first uh, professional level that you guys built from like a training program?
0: I mean, funny to say this, but we did like a a cannabis licensing program in the beginning where we were working with some of the, at the time, the only people doing real license consultation that was winning those licenses. And so we did like a program on on getting licensure, licensure, which was successful. And actually our first real smash hit was when we did the Cannabis Fundamentals program. And it was to train people in cannabis fundamentals for participating in the industry. And I remember we released that program and sold like seven or eight hundred units like right out of the gate. And that was when we really realized, like, oh, that's, you know, that's that's working better than anything we've done to date. <laughs> is there a certain demographic that
1: kind of tends towards this? Is it is it the older generation? Is it the younger generation? Like cannabis is all over. Is
0: there a certain generation that tends to to spew one way? Well, so that's a great question. And I think it probably is best answered by how the business has developed because there are definitely people that skew to different stuff. So today the business has these three limbs. One limb is that we um, partner with colleges and universities to power their cannabis programs um, through the continuing education department, meaning it's through the kind of workforce development department where lots of those people are tend to be um, over thirty, and in fact, over forty is usually the medium. They're people that come from other professions or other industries, but now they're looking to get into cannabis, and so the the, the college and university channel serves that market. You know, the older kind of job seeker who's trying to transition into this industry from existing experience or existing background in other spaces. Um, and we're finding a lot of traction in that space. You know, then we have Ganja, which is our Cannabis Sommelier program. And that program tends to attract hardcore cannabis lovers. I mean, at the end of the day, and, and it's split between people that are in the industry already and working in all sorts of roles. I mean, we have people in retail and cultivation and management and all the way up to the CEOs um you know and, and then the other half of the people is people that have been smoking for 30 years and now they're looking to have something that validates their level of of understanding and knowledge about you know the sophisticated elements of cannabis the more nuanced connoisseur elements of cannabis <laughs> um so that program appeals to that and then we have the third limb of the business that is becoming the training backbone of the cannabis operators themselves meaning we're training their employees and that you know is giving us a crazy look into who works inside the industry because you're seeing you know everybody in that space from from their new hires all the way up to their leadership and you know, we're touching kind of everybody in that domain that works inside the industry. So it's a business that touches all these different people in different ways based upon the channel they're kind of coming through.
2: I want to go back to uh, the university program. How challenging was it to get your first program with uh, a college university because it's cannabis? And how much has that conversation changed in the last four years?
0: It was so hard to crack that nut. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I it's funny because now today... So we have Thirty as of today, thirty-three college and university partnerships. Congratulations. Wow! Wow!
1: Um, exactly. You know, we just
0: announced. Yeah, we just announced a whole series of them, and we're going to end the year probably like closer to forty, if you can believe it. Um, which is which boggles my mind because in from you know I started approaching schools in 2017 when when I personally started going to schools, and, and you know the response was some version of no. Um, that sounds really interesting. Snicker, snicker. We'll run it through the pack pole and then, you know, go away, um, to this does sound really interesting, but we're going to get everybody in our university involved in the conversation to see if we can get everybody comfortable in it. And, and so then it almost always got killed at that point because, you know, you had 50 different people's opinions about cannabis, which doesn't go well. Um, and it was, it was impossible. I mean, quite frankly, it was just not working at all, but we kept going because of the fact that you know most people don't know this if you're not studied in the, in the sector but but there's thousands and thousands of colleges and universities across the country you know their business is education so if you're in the education business it's it's one of the the best channels to participate in and what i learned is that once you can kind of get a few people on board you know schools are kind of like sheep they they end up following the pack and so we knew that if we could get a few of these over the line it should you know quote unquote create this domino effect and so we started in 2017 got laughed out of every room all the way until 2019 um years of approaching schools and going through this process and getting really like we got really really close with one school and then the president at signature candidate it. <laughs> it was like ah oh, heartbreaking you know and our especially being our first one <laughs> um but yeah, months of diligence and, and and then yeah, killed literally at the last possible second that we thought and we thought this was going to signature, you know, and the guy comes back apologetic. So, anyways, all this is happening, and then finally in 2019, one of our investors is is um I don't know if he was on the board or just really close to the board at Florida Atlantic University in Florida, and and he basically kind of personally vouches for us, and they say, oh sure, what the hell, we'll give it a try. And we get the first program finally over the line. We get it launched, and it has—it's not even tremendously successful. It was just a little bit successful, but it was enough for us to then start to go to the other schools and say, "See, Florida Atlantic did this. Do you want to get on board?" And it's true. All it just started going, yes, 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 yes. Um, and then particularly COVID really helped us because here comes COVID. All of a sudden, all of these schools are in total disruption mode none of them are prepared to switch everything online they're all worried about their budgets and cannabis is deemed essential and so it has this kind of boost in a, a you know a stigma standpoint that makes them feel okay and so we went from two or uh, i guess we were just at we'd signed to maybe three schools before covid started and then now we're at 30 32 or 33 you know here in 2022 so it's been a, a crazy few years of building since that time.
1: I definitely have my beef with traditional uh, education. But I, I mean, from your pitch standpoint, right, you're going to these universities, you're giving students an opportunity to transition to get a skill set into an industry that's absolutely exploding, right? Like, at least the universities can agree, they are going to be jobs to help these students kind of progress forward. So it's it's kind of sad to hear those stories, but it, it's 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 eye-opening, right? Because those are the experiences that are happening. And that's what's so critical for you and your mission of kind of helping bring the, the stigma and reducing that normalization of cannabis to the forefront. And, and you know,
0: I have the same beef with higher education. Um, I hated college. I hated it. I literally hated the academic infrastructure of college because it was a waste of time. And I was studying and being forced to do all this other stuff. But where we found a, an amazing niche, which has totally <coughs> reinvigorated my belief in it is, you know, these continuing education programs are like focused credentials that are shorter and more um, focused on on skills and and workforce development needs. And so you know, we love operating in this university pseudo system. You know, we're not an undergraduate program. We're not in these degree programs. They're not these huge lengthy time processes. They're shorter skills-based workforce development programs. And and as a result of that, we're just seeing all the stu- the, the stories of students saying, I came to this. I didn't know much. I take the programs. I now know cannabis. I was able to take this and parlay it into a job, but, you know, it's short and tight and I could do it on my own. And so, I really love this continuing education environment because it it's focused, it's tight, it's cheaper, it's faster, but it actually is very, very skills-based, kind of workforce development-based. So it's kind of reinvigorated my love for higher education being in this little tiny silo that exists within that universe.
2: I mean, yeah. it's also like a rare gem too for universities because you're providing a solution for kids that want to get in the industry. And now they have the ability to gain the skills to actually be successful in the industry.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, Let's
1: talk about some of those skills. Uh, I know you've got some announcements coming up. We'd love to hear kind of what they can gain from the program.
0: Yeah. So the the, the programs that are uh, you know just about to come out that are actually not even through the universities, to be clear, um, it's not true. Some of the community colleges are offering some of these programs. But you know <laughs> the cannabis industry is such a complex place and as somebody who's now been here long enough to understand all the channels you realize that there is so much to learn about this industry and how it operates and how it works and where we've been finding kind of greater and greater levels of success is getting more and more narrow in terms of what you're training people around and so we have these three programs that are built by the, the GF Institute, which is a and actually a, a, another part of the business, but it's the part of the business that that is um, about developing standards. And so we, we gathered together 40 cannabis operators that had collectively 25,000 employees in the space. And we worked with them to create these kind of shorter credential programs that are designed to be a baseline level of proficiency for that sector. So we have three sectors. We have the dispensary associate program, the cultivation technician program, and the manufacturing agent program. Because we have found, quite frankly, the most amount of people that are getting hired and are coming into the industry are coming into work at retail, work in cultivation, or work in the, the manufacturing and the brand building process. So we've got these three programs now that took you know, about 15 months to really create that, that consensus mechanism with the steering committee, with the with the people in the GF Institute to say, now these, they're only about six to eight hour programs are the baseline level of proficiency that somebody needs to have to work in cannabis retail or to work in cannabis cultivation or to work in cannabis manufacturing. And so I'm really excited about these programs because it's it's the first time from my standpoint that we've got programs that are so pinpointed towards these are the skills you need to get jobs in the industry. And here are the sectors of the industry that you can get jobs around if you take these programs. So that's that's been kind of our big push coming into the end of this year. Were they one one level classes to clarify?
1: And are are there any differences from like a state by state standpoint?
0: They're definitely baseline level of proficiency. So for example, you know, in the cultivation program, you learn the stages of the plant growing cycle right so you learn about each stage of the plant you learn about the fundamentals of growing cannabis watering lighting soil mediums nutrients you know you learn kind of baseline levels of proficiency um and then you learn about you know uh, harvesting and processing and curing and storage um because in the cultivation process that's everything that happens, right? From seed to harvest, basically, to seed to production. But as I'm saying is, you know, we've learned this is baseline level of proficiency. But I'm willing to bet you that 99% of people that will listen to this podcast actually doesn't even have that baseline level of proficiency. They don't know all those stages of the cycles. They don't understand what nutrients do. They don't understand the harvesting, you know, and so... As simple and foundational as they are, everybody that goes through these programs learns a ton because nobody really has had proper education to be in this space unless they've learned on the job. And even then, you know, questionable how, uh, how uh, comprehensive that learning really is.
2: Yeah. So each program's very, very different. Was there one that was a little more challenging to put together than the other ones?
0: I mean the manufacturing program is so cool. The manufacturing program goes through each extraction methodology so you really like understand ethanol versus CO2 versus solventless base because you know that's how the products are being made. So so you we had to find the experts to to walk us through each of these extraction processes and then we went through each cannabis product type um you know vape pens, f- flour and p- pre-rolls um you know kind of everything and and you walk through the manufacturing process that can be used to make these products and and so it was very technical i think that's my point it was a very technical based program but the end result is that man you know talk about something that's value oriented like if you want to learn to build cannabis products and learn the manufacturing process of how these products are made you go through this 8 hour training and bam you know you'll you'll have you'll be so far ahead of the pack. Um, so that was the most program difficult program to create. But I also have a tremendous amount of optimism about the influence of that program because it'll give people such a great foundation to be able to succeed in cannabis manufacturing. That's the point. <laughs> How has the response been with, let's say, large operators in the space? Obviously, some of these
1: MSOs are scaling incredibly fast and having a resource like yours in order to bring credentialed employees is probably making a massive difference. How has been the response from them?
0: Well, so I'd like to answer that in a few phases. You know, we've been talking to a lot of these operators for many years, um, especially the big guys, and um, I can tell you that only this year—and I mean, I'm afraid to say this—but only like really the second half of the year, as everybody's gotten the you know the living heck kicked out of them, have these operators started to say to themselves, you know, we really should probably do more for our people. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how else to say that, but there's been a, a a pretty noticeable tonality shift that has taken place this year from the operators. And and I'm grateful to say, just like with the schools, after all these years of feeling like we were kind of hitting a, a wall talking to these people about training and educating their people, this year has had a seismic shift in that. And and we've had, you know, literally some of the largest operators sign on to now get their whole enco- entire company certified through these programs. Um, and so that's, I'm grateful to say, is a but a very new development that has happened really in the second half of this year um, that I'm grateful for. And I think, again, it goes back to the very simple explanation that a lot of these operators have realized they can't just keep blindly funding their operations, you know, forever. And so we've got to get their costs and their culture under control. And and that's, you know, a lot of times about your people and about making sure your people have the education and training and, you know, guidance that need to be successful. So there's been a, a grateful sea change just recently after lots of years of feeling like this was not going to work. <laughs> it's one thing to have an expensive mistake
1: from an inexperienced operator, right? It's another thing when you compare that's what it would have cost from an educational standpoint if you would have trained your team in order to avoid those mistakes. And unfortunately, it seems like a lot of those operators maybe have run into those mistakes and realized maybe there's a more cost-effective solution that would be helpful for
0: us. Well, and the turnover is so crazy. Like, just, <laughs> just this week, we were going through our list of kind of, um, you know, people that we've we've worked with deeply in the curriculum development process over the years. And I, I would, I mean, this is probably a little over far reach, but I would say that somewhere north of, definitely north of 50%, maybe even north of 75%, weren't at the same company they were at when we did the process. <laughs> You know, it was like so many. You know, and this is like the CEO level down. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many of these groups I went to, and I was like, "Oh Jesus, C- the CEO's not there anymore." Oh man, CEO's not there anymore. Like over and over and over again, I was seeing this happen. So, I think the real issue that we're tackling is the turnover issue is so expensive. The turnover issue, and you know, we are so deeply embedded with these HR groups, we know that you know the cost to recruit people to interview people, to hire people, to train people, you know, to provide all the infrastructure. It's expensive. It's really expensive. And I think that for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, these cannabis companies just kind of turned a blind eye to the fact that their turnover was what it was and high as it was and expensive as it was. was. But now in this environment, they're saying we can't, can't do that. And so quite frankly, even just providing training pathways that people have to go through over the series of a few months will extend the shelf life of employees. And even at that like very baseline level of business, it's like, if you can get another few months out of your employees, the programs pay for themselves. Don't forget about the culture boost. Forget about the more effectiveness of your team, the better results that they get. This will pay for itself. And that's what's being proven out now through all these operators coming on board, but boy, it's taken us years to get that message to get through. Why do you think it took so long for the message to get through? I mean, I really think that a, a lot of the, the, the cannabis operators that are more than a ten-person shop, right? Because the truth is, there's there's a you know a huge portion of our market that's, I mean, maybe not ten, but you know, sub twenty, sub thirty people, small groups, and and those people actually do tend to treat their employees better and they do tend to be more caring and they do tend to embrace training more and that whole thing. The problem is, is that, that, you know, the industry also has this whole other bucket of people that are super well funded and, and are, have money and have the business background. And I just feel like they, that group of people definitely felt like money was always going to be there. So, so they didn't have to take this seriously And also we're so intertwined in the expansion plans, the licensing and all the other stuff that it was just kind of an afterthought. And when you, you know, when you brought it up, it was just kind of like, you know, on my list of priorities, I'm not going to make that a big priority. And I just feel like, quite frankly, it's just caught up to them. And now that they can't, their money's dried up and the turnover is an issue and it's very expensive. And they are forced now to take this seriously because they're bleeding you know, they're bleeding and they, you kind of can't can't ignore it. No, it's it's perfectly sad. I think there's so many reasons why they, they
1: wanted to do it, but just didn't prioritize it. And then when they didn't have the type of capital that they had because they were burning cash incredibly fast, they all had to look inwards. And the easiest way to do that is be like, all right, well, let's stop having to to hire new people on a regular basis. Let's extend that, that month-to-month standpoint. And like you said, Max, like if they stay an extra two or three months and it pays for itself, plus we have trained employees, it's a win-win for all. I guess my question to you is, Hypothetically, have you ever had any conversations with the government in regards to helping kind of lift the industry as a whole?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we first off, one of the things that Greenflower has done is um, there is training requirements in many states, you know, many different states around the country has, whether it's retail training requirements, or um, there's food safety training requirements, um, and, and so on. And so Greenflower is accredited in every state. Where that training is um, offered to employees, and because of that, we then work with the the government agencies. You know the the, the cannabis task force in each of those states. Um, on top of that, we have a partnership with a group that is kind of the training arm of the FDA, um, and so we have our inroads there. And ultimately, what I would tell you is that first and foremost, training will become required upon federal legalization. It, this is a heavily regulated industry, and. Every heavy regulated industry has training requirements, so there, there's an nev- inevitability that you know federal legalization will bring forward certain level of training and education requirements, and that will lift up the industry in its nature. I think you know, like like even the operators, a lot of these government companies, they, they they're government agents, they come from knowing nothing about cannabis. And so they step into this world and it's just a fire hose. And so I think just like operators, they're trying, to, they're trying their best to prioritize the priorities and they're failing a lot of the time because they're just kind of guessing at these things. But I would say that it's, you know, kind of in the mix of their consideration to help use training to lift up the industry, but it's one of 500 other things that they're also trying to, to tackle and figure out.
2: Do you guys currently have some uh, federal guidance in your certification programs like OSHA stuff or anything like that
0: yep yeah, we do we, we have um, we actually are just about to finish I was hoping by this podcast um, I would be able to, to to claim it but we haven't yet so we're just in the final throes of this multi-year ANSI accreditation process ANSI is the basically the international standard setting body for for standards um, and we will have the first, cannabis food safety equivalent, meaning right now even food safety um, requirements, people are doing kind of generic food safety training. Um, And we have the cannabis centric version of that that's now in the final stages of being accredited, um, which will be offered to all the operators to do things like that. So, you know, but this is it's another good example of like, you know, you have to build something that's cannabis centric because that doesn't even exist. And then you have to spend years going through the accreditation process and them asking the literal, you know, dumbest questions you could imagine um, and getting through this whole process just to have the cannabis equivalent of food safety. (laughs) So it's it's harder in cannabis. (laughs) Everything is harder, it takes longer, you'll get told no, so much more than you expect. Um, But that's also, you know, personally, why I've loved being in cannabis so much is personally, it has made me such a resilient leader, um, I, you know, I just, I, I, it's shocking to me how many times we've been told no, this won't work, we can't do it, I, and blah blah blah, whatever it is, just some version of no, and have had to move around it somehow, whether it's through that person or through another service or through another option or coming back or whatever. But that's just kind of what you have to do, and you do it enough times, you start to realize I can do this with everything, <laughs> you know, I can be this resilient with everything in my life, and that's that's a gift, a gift. Yeah, it's perfectly said. At a certain point, you just
1: don't feel it anymore. You're like, All right, well, on to the next. We'll figure it out from there. Exactly. So give us a sneak peek into the, the Gangier program. Is it cannabis small? Yay. Give us some some insights into
0: that. So this is my favorite thing in the world to talk about because I personally think it's like the most fun and interesting thing that we do. So um, the origin story here is that me and the co-founder of Gangier, Derek, were sitting on a couch smoking a joint, just absolutely hating on how bad the service was at retail, just like absolutely hating on how terrible the service is. And, and I spend a lot of time traveling around the country, you know, oftentimes training these, these companies. And you just see like, I would I hate to say this, but I would probably say like 8 out of 10 times the recommendations that people in retail give to consumers is wrong. It's, 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 it's really terribly off base. So we were riffing about this and and saying, gotta be a way we can fix this issue, but you know, you could do bud tender training, but people don't really care about that. So who, who in other industries has created a a master of, uh, of, of products and service? Basically that was the question who in other industries has created a masters of products and service. And when we started asking that question, it was obvious, you know, these, these wine sommeliers exist. There, there's actually a program in the beer industry called Cicerone, where people get certified to be Cicerones. There's coffee cuppers. You know, there's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's trained professionals, in, in actually every sector that have a certain level of qualification that distinguishes them. And so we realized that, and we started studying uh, the framework of these programs and looking at how the. Um, structure looks. And we took that structure and then we rallied together this group of 18 individuals that called the Gangier Council that has about 600 years of cannabis experience. And we said, if we want to train people to be experts in products, experts in assessment, and experts in service, because those are the, the pillars of what these other industries really bring to the table, how would we do it? And so we spent three years Building the curriculum of what needs to be included in training people as masters of cannabis products and service. We built this Gangier systematic assessment protocol, which is basically a, a, a methodology for assessing cannabis using, um, you know, aroma, flavor, experience, and the, the, the visual, the appearance of it. Um, and then we built the app to be able to walk people through it. We built this live curriculum so that we could train people on these assessment methodologies to develop their palates and understand how to recognize aromas and flavors and understand you know, what good looks like and what doesn't. And then we we bought a campus in Humboldt. We, we got this 250-acre campus in Humboldt where now people can come into on a monthly basis and do this training. And so we Spent almost, it was almost three years, two and a half years building the, the just the infrastructure of it, the training, the online programs, the curriculums, the apps, all that other stuff. Launched it in the beginning of 2021. The whole year's program sold out in three weeks, the first year. Um, and so we sold the whole thing out in the first month and then spent the year putting people through it, right? And and it was incredibly eye-opening because, you know, we had to create an examination process to validate if people could passed this criteria. And then we had lots of people fail the exams. And it was this like big dramatic thing. And, and still to this day, a third of the people that take those exams still, even with all the things we do still fail them. Um, It's, it's a difficult thing to get through, but you know, you go through this whole process in year one, it works, it's emotional, but you know, it works. And then we, I know from building these educational programs, you, you have to just kind of year two is really where the rubber meets the road because you can make anything sound appealing and sexy out of the gate. And and then you need to see if it holds weight. And fortunately, we we sold out year two as well. And so we've been certifying everybody through year two this year. We've really got the processes dialed in. And, and now we've got 165 certified Gangiers out in the community, people that have gone through and gotten certified. Um, and they're you know doing everything from like i said we've got ceos and lawyers and researchers all the way to people that are now running retail management or running product development of of a lot of these these growing companies so it's been this amazing process where you just get to absolutely geek out on all things cannabis and then study by practicing assessing cannabis and you know really learning the smells the aromas the flavors and how those translates to the effects and so it's such a It's an amazingly cool process where you get so intimately connected to the plant. And in that process, you really learn how to communicate to other people about all the nuances that make cannabis what it is.
2: So with the wine sommeliers, isn't there a massive fail rate? Like that's a really, really challenging program to get through as well, right? So how do you balance launching a program and having individuals pay for it and then Knowing that it needs to be uh, tough enough to create a, a high-quality individual, but also not fail everyone. Like that sounds like a really challenging balance.
0: It's really emotional. I mean, I'll tell you, still to this day, you know, we run these events every month, and and right now, still a third of the people fail every month, um, and and it's it's heartbreaking, and it leads to a ton of emotion. But again, you know, you there's a um, I've been building education programs long enough to know a few things. You know, one is um it's all about the vision of what you're trying to do. And the vision of Gangier is that we're still certifying people in a hundred years. That was the the vision that we created that no matter what happens to the rest of the business, you know, we want Gangiers to be still certifying professionals in a hundred years. And and because of that long-term thinking, you really start to build foundational things with a lot of scrutiny, you know, so you do less, but you do those things really, really accurately and really, really well. And so, you know, we've communicated to all the Ganjie students, like, you know, we're building this to be rigorous. There, There's, this is a, a no bullshit examination process. You know, you're not going to just show up and pass, you have to study and you have to learn and and you have to show up prepared. And then we hold to that, you know, we've got a nice tight criteria for the exam where you you know, the the multiple choice part of it, you can only miss ten ten out of the hundred. The service exam, you have you have to hit all the service points that we've mapped out in the Gangia protocols. And if you don't hit all those points, all of them, you fail the service exam. And then you have to do this assessment exam where you fall with you have to fall within a one point radius of the assessment on on you know either side. So you know if you judge it as six point five it has to either be a five point five or seven point five you know within that that range basically to pass, so we defined all the criteria and we've put people through it, and in the beginning, lots of people were failing, and it was terribly painful um but we had to just you know acknowledge this is the process of building this hundred year thing, and now we've gotten better and better at study materials and their study groups and study guides and all this stuff. Um, it's now how one in three, you know, a third are failing instead of half, which is better. But it's maintaining the integrity of the program. And it's making people really, really earn it. And thus, when you do earn it, it gains a certain level of respect in the industry. You have to earn it. Um, and um, so that's how we've kind of tackled it. It's not perfect yet. And it's still very emotional. And, you know, you wouldn't believe how upset people get when they fail. But, um, but we'll keep going. <laughs> That has to be such a delicate balance for you as
1: well, right? Because you want to see the course succeed, but you also have to ensure that it has some stability and some credentials because if every single person passed, it wouldn't really have as much value to it because everyone integrity. Be like, well, I, yeah. Everyone's like, well, you know, I could just fill out the paperwork and get it also. But the fact that people fail, and honestly, probably the more the better it is from an integrity standpoint of like the 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 actual fight of getting through it and the studying and the showing up and the putting the effort in kind of allows for that to kind of be put on that pedestal like probably the industry needs so i mean that that has to be an incredible challenge i guess my next question would be do you foresee something like that being at like consumption lunch? It's like having someone like that being stationed there to come around and make a recommendation based
0: on the person's individual needs and recommendations yeah um and you know i just i'll just say to you I, I got certified in may and and did you pass Congratulations, yeah, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that you know it was like my greatest fear of how tremendously embarrassing it would be if like the person that created the program couldn't make it through the exams. Um, unfortunately, I did pass, but I'll tell you, it, it is one of the most nerve-wracking th- damn things you've ever done, and and it's such a funny you know there's such polarity in it because like here you are, you're literally you're literally smoking weed for your exam right? I mean, the the, the the thought process of it is so funny to me to think about. You're smoking weed for an exam, and you're just trying your best to like break it all apart. And where everybody fails is in the flavor and aroma part of it, because it's up to your palate, and it's up to the consensus mechanism that happened from the people judging the, the process. So anyways, the point is just it's, it's scary, and it's difficult, and you're nerve-wracking. But the people that go through it and earn it, most of them would tell us it's literally the highlight of their lives. <laughs> you know, they really feel like it's one of the greatest accomplishments of their lives getting through the program. Um and so, and then, when you fail, it's like utterly heartbreaking. And just the emotion is so much. There's such big emotions that come from it. But again, you know, we've got our vision. this is this this should be here in a hundred years, still training people to be masters of cannabis service. And playing that level of role in the industry. Um, and to answer your question, you know that was the original vision: is that we should have a ganja in every retail shop and every consumption lounge. That that was you know that was the, the tactical goal: is we want we want a ganja in every retail shop and every consumption lounge because they're the ones trained to be masters of cannabis service. So where does that service? Take place takes place in retail and takes place in consumption lounges. You know we're far away from being there. We're far, far away from being there. But that's the beauty of a hundred year vision. You know you kind of just keep keep working on it over time. It has to be a fun team building effort, right? People come to the campus. How long are they there for? Two days, two full days, um, and it's they're packed. You start at nine, and oftentimes they'll go till like ten o'clock at night, just geeking out. I mean, it's like the geekiest cannabis thing you've ever done. You're like opening it up and you're looking at it through the jeweler's loop and you're smelling and you're picking out the aromas. But, but to people like me who love cannabis, who love everything about cannabis, it's, it's the thrill of a lifetime because you really, and the thing that's so cool for me is, and this was the thesis of the program is once you go through it, you can smell something and you can tell people the quality of that. You can tell people the direction of what the effect profile will be. You can tell people how much they should consume of it based upon the the properties of it to get the ideal effect. Like You can get really sophisticated and accurate with how you provide that level of guidance to people. And it's cool that it works, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the point: is that that people become real, true masters of cannabis service, and that's why those roles are now being um, kind of embraced in the industry: is they're they're playing that manager role or the menu curation role or they're they're taking on the role of marketing lead because they understand the nuances of how to communicate and differentiate the product. So, we're seeing this amazing amazing follow through of people that are getting certified and then using that to leverage that in their in their careers.
2: What do you guys have any uh individuals that attend the program that disagree with some of the content that's being being taught?
0: We get arguments all the time just about the assessment um it's really the assessment accuracy of the exams. That's it. That's it, it is, is where people will say, you know, <laughs> I judged this this way, and you guys judged it this way. And they'll, you know, we'll, the people will fight tooth and nail about those different quality assessment things. And it's really tricky. I mean, you know, it's really a tricky thing because although the instructors, are truly the most experienced cannabis people pro- on earth. I mean, there's not a, a large group of people that have been doing this for 10, 20 years in the legacy space or in Prop 215 environment in California, and then have also transitioned to being such major players in the legal space. Because that's the thing. It's, it's, you have to hold both things in cannabis. You have to hold the love, the culture, and the legacy and all that stuff and the fact that we're in a newly regulated legal market that's a totally different environment. So so these 18 people are all coming from that legacy background, but participating in this space. And, you know, it's like Swami Chaitanya is one of the judges who's been judging the Emerald Cup for 18 years, and he's the one doing the assessment. So like, are you going to Fine, you can challenge Swami's assessments. You can. But like, who's more qualified than him? You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain point where you just got to say like, these are the people that know their shit. So, you know, we, we kind of try our best to just like, let the reality of the program speak for itself. But yeah, people argue about the assessment criteria all the time. It's a good question though, Cal.
1: <laughs> what is one factor statistic about creating an educational ecosystem that would shock the cannabis industry?
0: that it's so freaking difficult and it takes so much time to get the consensus of what's really supposed to be included um you know the the thing that's fascinating is cannabis is a, a, an industry full of people with huge egos that have no right to have those egos Amen. um that that's it they don't they don't have the right and and quite frankly the higher up you go from people that that have been in the space the, the more they know they don't they don't know everything but you have this enormous flood of people coming in that come from other sectors or come from other industries and they they just they think they know what good education looks like they think they know what should go in the program they think they but the truth is they don't know <laughs> and it takes a really long time a really long time to kind of develop these programs so I guess, yeah, that's that's the, the point. It just takes forever to do this the, the right way.
1: 20 years from now, we will look back and say, I can't believe we did that. That is barbaric. Why did we do that in the cannabis industry? What is that?
0: Oh, it's cannabis only being sold in this ultra-restricted, ultra-limited way. You know, I mean, cannabis won't stay there forever because um, it doesn't deserve to be isolated in this you know, iron cage of only limited to this thing. Like we don't do that to pretty much anything. I mean, I guess there's some things we do, but um, so can yeah, cannabis will be sold everywhere. Cannabis will be sold and consumed everywhere. And we'll look back and go, why Why were we so afraid of this thing? That's so stupid.
1: <laughs> Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be?
0: Building resilience is an amazingly valuable and important skill and in certain places it's the most important thing you need to cultivate to succeed and and i think that's just what cannabis has taught me is just there you will in this space get nose for many months sometimes in the beginning doesn't really matter what it is going to schools you know it took us a year and a half to get a, a payment provider to accept us to offer financing for our students. You know, we just signed a text messaging service that took us five months to find because we were told no by 25 people, you know. And and so there's 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 beauty in the no's. There's beauty in in the rejections, because if you can just say, okay, no problem, and then keep working on it and keep trusting that you'll find a solution. You learn that you do. You learn that you do find those solutions and you do find workarounds and you can make it through. I have this um, that's saying that everyone can succeed at everything. It's just that everybody gives up too soon. That's how I say it. Everybody can succeed at anything. It's just that everybody gives up too soon. And, and that's the lesson of the cannabis industry is that we're still dealing with tremendous challenges and things but we're not giving up. And thus, we're succeeding. We're continuing to drive things forward. So I really feel resilience is the name of the game, especially in this sector. (laughs) That was awesome. I love that.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. All right. Prediction time. Education can change stigma. Max, what specific part of education can help with the
0: normalization for the mainstream for the cannabis industry? Oh, gosh. Well... I think it's important for people to understand the endocannabinoid system for the simple fact that the biggest public narrative around cannabis is, um, you know, I hope it's not too bad for you, basically, right? I hope this isn't I will tolerate this the the public you know the public policy narrative, a lot of these kind of mainstream things it's like, well, I guess this is something to tolerate. But the, the endocannabinoid system and all the science around it and how it works demonstrates that that actually the exact opposite is the truth, that cannabis is a life-saving, life-giving supplement that feeds our, um, our system in a way that literally nothing else on planet Earth can do. And so we need to help people understand it's not that this is not bad for you, it's that, that Done consciously and and in the right way. This is good for you, <laughs> and that that's a, a you know a message that is definitely not well received currently because people are still just trying to get used to tolerating this as an alcohol substitute. You know, and it's a shame. That's a shame. Kellen, I'm going to
2: piggyback on what Max said, and I think that uh, once the endocannabinoid system is actually taught in medical school, I think that is going to be a big one, right? Because I I'm just going to rest my case there. I think we have talked about it enough on the show, but uh, I think once it gets taught in medical schools and doctors start to learn about it as part of their degrees, then it's become standard knowledge, how all the cannabinoids interact with the human body from a medicinal standpoint will become more public. And it'll just help provide comfort for everyone who's scared of the plant because they're just scared because they don't know.
0: Yeah. And you know, I mean, I've been using cannabis a long time. And, and it wasn't until green flower that I started to realize this is my medicine and I'm going to use it actually in the same way I use all my medicines. My green drinks is I take it the same dose at the same times in the same measured ways. And I do it every single day. And, and it, it is my, you know, it is the reason I've gotten my ADHD under control. It's, it's, it's so tied to a direct benefit to me personally. And so I, think, you know, when you really start to look at it, you realize that lots of us individuals are actually still carrying stigma. We're, we're still a little like we do it, but we're a little concerned about it or we consume cannabis, but we feel a little embarrassed by it, or we kind of just think about it like we're getting high and, and so be it not necessarily looking at it from a medicinal wellness standpoint. And I think personally going through this journey of being educated and then realizing I was holding so much stigma around this and dropping that to be able to do this with such consistency, I, you know, I take my cannabis twice a day, every, same time every day, every measured doses. And that's been life-changing for me. Absolutely, utterly life-changing. But to have somebody like me who's been consuming for so long, is in the industry, and then still needs to go through this shedding layer, this like stigma-dropping layer, this shame-dropping layer to get to a place where I'm like, yeah, I'm using this every day because this is good for me. You know, This is a benefit to my life. Take taken a long time. So we've we're, we got some work to do. I, I think it's also
1: important to remember that it's not one size fits all, right? Like the same product you take for certain situations is not the same one you take for a relaxer to help you sleep. And I think that's the massive take home message that I really want people to realize is that there's different products for different situations. And it's not going to be the first product you buy is gonna be the best one for you. It's going to take a guest test and revise. And it starts with understanding, you know, what your body likes and educating yourself on the differences of the plan. I always say
0: that if um if cannabis's history was wiped away, right? All this last 80 years of stigma and war on drugs and all this other stuff. And, and then today, you know, some scientists walked in and discovered this plant and then brought it to the lab and started researching it. It would be celebrated as the single greatest medical discovery of the 21st century. It would be like, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me this plant helps me sleep. Helps me relax. Helps me be creative. Helps me connect to spirituality. Can can have measurable effects on cancer. Can have measurable effects on depression. Measurable effects on anxiety. You know, measurable effects on spasticity. Measurable effects on epilepsy. I mean, you really start to go down to it. You realize it's it's the most. You know, it's one of the most incredible plants that exists on planet Earth. It's just that we've got this huge backlog of nonsense shadowing and coloring it. But, you know, like all of us, we're doing our piece. Stigma is going away. People will realize the versatility of what this plant can offer humanity is immense. Pretty incredible hearing you lay it out
1: like that. So, Max, yeah. for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to start training themselves, and they're probably
0: interested in the Gangier program. Where can they find you? So, everything's at green flower.com, and you can just Google green flower or Gangier. Um, you know, the, the, the new GFI programs, the Dispensary Associate Cultivation Technician and Manufacturing Agent are coming live in November. And GANGA is opening for our 2023 class in November. So it's a good good time to be here. And uh, yeah, you should go check it out now. Is If history repeats itself, GANGA won't, won't be available for too long until next year. And uh, the GFI programs will, will be available. Awesome. We will link them up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was yeah. fun. Thank you. This is great, guys. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
1: I'm Josh Kincaid, capital markets analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events. All that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at the thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out.